quiet on the set. Hello and welcome to the Women in Film and Television Ireland podcast. My name is Fiona Kinsella. I'm a WFT board member and I'm also a producer at Tile Media and Jumper Productions. In this podcast, I got to talk with WFT members, director Lisa Mulcahy and producer Ruth Carter about their wonderful woman-led film, Lies We Tell. Hi everyone, so um, I'm here with Lisa Mulcahy and Ruth Carter, the team behind the Lies We Tell, which is going to premiere or gets its Irish release this Friday, um, the 13th. Uh, it's an amazing film it's really beautiful like uh, it's one of those films that every single element I think works really well I saw it in Galway and of course there it picked up the cinema cinematography award for Eleanor Bowman and also uh, Agnes O'Casey uh, picked up the a Bingham Ray award there as well um, and uh, they're just part of the amazing cast and crew who brought this lovely film to life um, I think you had a preview last night as well. How did that go? Yeah, it was excellent. Yeah, we were delighted with the response, I have to say. Um, people seem to really enjoy the movie and really engage with it. Brilliant. That's great. I'm just going to begin by asking Lisa if you could just describe the film, the story. <laughs> My worst job, Anna. <laughs> um, so Lies We Tell is a psychological thriller um, set in 1864 about a young heiress, Maud Ruthen, who finds herself orphaned when her father dies. And so into her life comes her uncle Silas, uh, who's not been nominated to be her guardian until she comes of age. And he brings with him his two children and a governess. And whereas Maud welcomes this new family, um, it soon becomes clear that the very people who are there to love and protect her are at, are actually, in fact, out to control her and ultimately destroy her. Brilliant. And, mm. and Ruth, um, can you tell us a bit how the project came to being, into being and the, yeah. the story? Yeah, so Elizabeth Gooch, um, I'd actually read one of her other screenplays um, and I, I could see she was absolutely a wonderful writer. And we met at an event, I, I think it might have been a Screen Ireland event. Um, and we, I think we got a taxi home together. But anyway, she had said to me, listen, I've got this great idea. And, and you know, so she pitched it. And I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. Here's my email address. And I think at that stage, she said, just sent me a treatment. Um, but Elizabeth has this, she's, she's an immense talent, full stop, but it's actually really difficult to write a really good treatment. And she had written this really compelling um, treatment that like, w- as soon as I read it, I was like, oh, I absolutely want to be involved in this. Um, and then she sent the first 25 pages of the script and they were absolutely, as I say, she's a brilliant writer. And, and you could see the shape of the film to come, you know, even on the first 10 pages and then the 25 page script. Um, and then off the back of that, we were, you know, she said, oh, you see, there's this POV scheme for Screen Ireland. Do you think we should go for it? So I was like, yeah, absolutely. And she said, there's this great director, Lisa Mulcahy, um, who they were on a course together, an adaptation course, I think it was together. Um, and I knew of Lisa, of course, and we both had worked on the clinic, but at different times, Lisa had done the first two years. And I think I was clinic series three and four. Um, but obviously I knew about Lisa. Um, so Elizabeth got in contact with Lisa and um, sent her, I think, the first 25 pages in the treatment at that point. But I, I can't I can't fully remember all the details. 
and Lisa read it. And Lisa, I'll let you take that bit from there. <laughs> yeah, like like yourself, um, just um really, really compelling, exciting story. Um, and uh, Elizabeth's writing is so profoundly good. Um, and so I was working on another job at the time, but I said, absolutely, yes, if this is going to go ahead, I'd love to be part of it. Yeah, so we were very lucky then. From then, you know, we submitted it to Screen Ireland for the POV scheme. And in between that submission and getting called for interview, Elizabeth decided to write the spec script, not knowing whether we'd ever be called for interview or not. Um, and then we were called for interview and, we, you know, we were selected as one of six projects, I think it was, to be developed further. And then off the back of that, four projects were selected for production funding. Um, but it was it was actually it was such a great scheme in so many ways, you know, just in terms of bringing a kind of a team together really early and that kind of early collaboration. But even with the other teams that were there with us, you know, because we were, you know, we spent days together and, you know, listening to experts and all that sort of stuff. And um, I, I, I thought it was just an excellent way to create, actually to start the journey, really, to be honest with you. So it was great. It, it was absolutely amazing. Like, and I, I, just even seeing the projects that came out of it, this was, there's like four really great films and, uh, um, some really great talent involved across the board, I think. Mm, um, um, just in terms of the story, it's based on a short story, isn't it? And did, did, did what is it not based on Uncle Silas? Or something? It is, it's a novel, so, though. It's novel. Yeah, novel. What Sorry. Yeah, I mean, it, it's based on the, the novel Uncle Silas, which was based on a short story. Um, and uh, the short story, Sheridan Le Fanu originally wrote the short story um, set in Ireland. But at that time, there, uh, because uh, at the time, you know, with UK publishing and stuff like that, um, basically, you know, they really couldn't be setting their books in Ireland because they wouldn't get the readership. So so the original short story is set in Ireland. But when he wrote Uncle Silas, um, he he moved it to to the UK. So so that purely that they would get uh, more people buying the books. And did, did you have to clear any rights in it or is it out of copyright? Or, no, no. Out of copyright. Yeah. So. Nice. That was welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Note, yeah, note to self, make novels, Victorian novels, or even earlier, and you won't have to pay any rights. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but Elizabeth took the book and completely subverted the book. Like, our, the screenplay and our film is, they're, they're so different, you know, and she kind of took the start of an idea, really. And um, she'd say herself, and she's, she's great for talking about, you know, kind of how she felt about the book and the whole lot, but... She was quite infuriated by the character of Maud because she is infuriating. When you read the book, Maud kind of faints every time something bad happens and, you know, they're getting smell and salts out and you're like, come on, just fight back. So Elizabeth created a really contemporary character in Maud um, and a character like who does fight back, who essentially says, you know, you're not going to take what's mine. Um, and, you know, I suppose made the period really contemporary, I think. Yeah, no. Maud is a great character and I think you it's kind of I know from watching it and going it like it's it's almost terrifying the situation she finds herself in and the fact that well I don't want to give away anything any, anything as well but like how she fights back is is it's so quiet but so strong at the same way in yeah she's a great character 
Um, yeah, she was. Um, I mean, the back her backstory, which you, you doesn't really come out in the film, is that she has basically led an incredibly secluded life with her, uh, with her um, rather reclusive father, and with the occasional governess. And as you know, as one character says in in the film, that she is unschooled in the ways of society, and she says, "I hope so." And and so she's just she doesn't know how to behave in many ways. How a woman of her standing should behave and that in some ways is is allows her have her own personal strength because she's not trying to she's not trying to conform to in the ways that everybody expects her to conform but she does it um as you say quietly in a rather determined uh fashion she's learning as she goes but uh uh yeah she's a really interesting character um I think one of the first things that I think about as a producer as well is a period film on a POV budget. It's terrifying, but it, it works so well in what you did. And I think I just, that's probably, it's, I would imagine a lot to do with the team that you had around you and, um, uh, and it does show it is possible if you, if you approach it the right, right way as well. Um, Ruth, do you want to talk a bit about how you started to crew up the film? Yeah, well, oh God, when I think back, because we were supposed to shoot probably maybe the year previous, I think might be right, when we actually did shoot, or at least six months anyway. Um, but when we did start shooting, it was still COVID, but suddenly everything was back up and running, you know, so it was um, incredibly, incredibly busy. Um, so it was about trying to find um, the right people who would do it for the rates that we had, you know. Um, so I think we were really fortunate with the people that we got. Um, and one great kind of I, I do a lot of work with Helen Murray, who's a great line producer, you know. Um, and I rang her and I was like, OK, so I've got this project and, you know, I, I, I upfront just going to tell you what the rate is. And she was like, oh, my God, you know, what, what are you thinking? And I just said to her, OK, just I'm just going to send you the script. Just go over and read it. So I just like to know what you think anyway, and then come back to me. And she rang me about two days later and she was like, I wanted to hate that script so much, but it's the <laughs> best thing I have read all year, Kenyans. And I think that was kind of generally the reaction across the board, you know, like when we were, you know, kind of trying to find people, anybody who really read it and engaged with it, they then, um, they absolutely fell in love with it and everybody was in it for the right reasons, you know, and, then I think we had great, um, we we're really fortunate as well, you know, with people that we brought on board, like Caroline Hill, the production designer, her husband, John Carter, happens to be a portrait painter and portraits are really important in the film. I know, I see your face, Fiona. <laughs> Imagine the look of that, you know, and um, Helen, Helen O'Connor, our hair designer, who was absolutely brilliant as well. Um, her husband owned um, a jewellery store that had, um, oh God, really old jewelry that and you know to, to to rent any of that stuff or buy it you know we couldn't possibly do it um so it was really interesting and then um Joanne O'Brien actually she was just fantastic in terms of costume as well you know and um just really really inventive um she, she spoke with Lisa and Elizabeth about you know kind of the morning period and kind of the colors that they'd be going through because they're at different stages depending on where you are in the family you know but she redressed dresses with cuffs and um, necklaces and collars and and um, kind of amazing stuff um like 
even actually there was one pair of boots shared between the stunt man and one of the actors because we could only afford one pair of boots you know it's <laughs> so, <nerfed. yeah. laughs> so it was really like they were really incredible I, th- I think the whole team that came on board were just you know it was everybody in one place and the building that that was sorry that was a massive one you know the fact that Ard Gillen Castle Tom O'Reilly in there he's just such a lovely man but the fact that he allowed us in and gave us the freedom that he gave us because we took over every single room in that house like we had you know a green room for the cast we had offices in there we had we used their cafe Bramble's Cafe was our catering um, and all that we were just so fortunate with all that and you know because myself and Lisa had looked at other places and none of them of the scale of Art Gillen you know um, and I remember Lisa saying oh look we can we can we can use them if we have to we can try and figure it out but they weren't ideal um and we walked over the hill I'd never been to Argyll before and I think Connor O'Carroll told you about it Lisa was it so I think somebody yeah Connor uh, Connor O'Carroll had uh, had mentioned it to me we had, uh, as you say we'd looked at some places and um it was outside the zone without getting too technical it was outside the zone but the zone changed uh, so right. certain properties came within the zone and that did and that's why nobody really had shot there before uh, I imagine it's been inundated since but we really were the first to go there and do something substantial I mean bits and pieces had happened yeah I mean he was extraordinary Tom just extraordinary supportive of us you know yeah um, we shot I actually Eleanor as well we shot some interviews there for the tv series that I did for and he's just so nice and accommodating yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah um, brilliant and it, it is like, I think a lot, there's a huge amount of production value, obviously, from that location, too. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were lucky because when we went to shoot there, they were about to close it for a couple of weeks to the public anyway, because they were having the main rooms repainted. Unfortunately, we got there before they did that because they painted the rooms in much lighter colours. So we we couldn't change the colours on the walls. We just that would not have been possible within our budget. So uh, the rooms that have the lovely dark colours like her bedroom and um, the dining room, for example, uh, had we shot after they'd painted them, they would have all been much lighter colours. And, you know, we were just very fortunate. They had a great stash of stuff. There's this, you know, old servants quarters that is not open to the public and they they had stuff and we just pilfered whatever we could to um to to dress to dress the place you know i mean the drawing the dining room was dressed anyway but um but you know we had to add paintings and all that sort of thing yeah it was just amazing mm-hmm. and um lisa when you're um in pre-production can you talk a bit how you go about kind of briefing HODs and collaborating with them? I know that's a very general question. But... Um, no, I mean, in this instance, um, you know, once we knew we were going to use that location, I was going out there quite frequently just on my own, just walking around the rooms, having to think, you know, attributing certain scenes and sequences to various different places and walking around the grounds. They've got extraordinary grounds and woods and stuff like that. So once any of the HODs came aboard, like Caroline, for example, who was our production designer, uh, you know, we sat down with Caroline and um, Hannah, who was our art director in the drawing room. And we just uh, I, I just we went through the script together. So by the time that they came on board, uh, you know, I had a very good idea of 
of what I wanted, what I felt we could achieve, how we had a very, you know, very quickly we started collaboration about how we could achieve certain um, certain things and our limitations. And it was just really exciting. You just go through the whole script, talk about everything. I'd say, no, don't worry about what this says. We can just do this. Um, and, and so by the end of that meeting, it was like, OK, let's go off and do this. And and I mean, you know, there were some things there's a swing, a garden swing. Um, <laughs> And like, you know, getting that swing in place was just such a huge challenge because we were a small team or there's a mausoleum and there's a like a, a there's a, a fence, a railing in front of the mausoleum and getting that railing up. It's funny how things that you just simply hardly would notice how they became such great, huge challenges. But Caroline is just incredibly and her whole team, incredibly positive uh, can do group of people so uh, really I would do the same with everybody the same with jo- Joanne who was our costume designer um probably by the time we had a conversation we'd you know we would have known how many story days we had um which is the all-important um uh information that a costume designer needs to know and uh again as we'd says very inventive they made she had a very small team they made some dresses particularly madame's i think they made uh, two of madame's dresses and madame had the biggest uh amount of changes she was very clever with Maud because as Ruth said she had a couple of dresses but she redressed them and Maud was wearing black everybody was wearing black you know except for Madame so yeah and they there's a little girl and they made her dress just a really really skilled talented bunch of people and that's actually in terms of the costume that's probably very in keeping with what would have happened in Victorian times as well but wouldn't it, as they moved on in the morning stage they would add pieces of yeah. like didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A pieces of lace or a piece of jewellery. Um, absolutely. So that there's a scene at the end where where we see um you know that they've come out a bit of the or some people have come out of a bit of the morning the morning stage and you see more colour and stuff. So yeah, I mean we wanted to as much as possible be really truthful to uh the correct um the the correct costume mm-hmm. and the details. And then um, Eleanor Bowman, uh, the cinematography, it's yeah, just, it's its beautiful. C- can you talk a little bit about that and, and how you decided on that approach and collaborated with her on that? Yeah. So uh, again, once um, Eleanor came on board, again, I had been visiting the house and I, I'd just taken a bunch of shots and I had sent them to her just to whet her appetite appetite and then she came out and we walked around and we just had lots and lots of chats we had uh we knew that we would probably have a a limited uh, camera kit we would knew that and we also knew that we would have a limited lighting kit but i i really wanted to shoot as much with natural light um as possible and to shoot as few with as few lights which was convenient and also we really wanted to shoot uh, the interiors with just candlelight and uh, so Eleanor's completely on board and excited about all of that and it's interesting had we had a more of a budget I probably would have had a more difficult time persuading uh, uh, execs or investors or whatever that this was the way to go so so uh, this is what we really wanted to do. We just really wanted to use as little lighting as possible. We were in the perfect place for it. It was a house that was designed to work with natural light um, that didn't have electricity when it was designed. So um, 
So Eleanor and myself had lots of chats and you always go off in tangents and we shared images, you know, paintings really of, uh, you know, and although we do use handheld and steady cam, there are, I love wide angle lenses and we had a, you know, a super wide angle lens that every time it came out of the box, I cheered. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, they're, they're, those, those shots are in a way they're, 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 they're like, they are like paintings. There are a number of shots that are in these super wide angle lenses and they are there. The lighting is just so lovely because it's so natural. And it's Eleanor has tweaked things off camera that we wouldn't even know about. And so I, I had a picture. I always have a picture of my notebook. That was the picture of my notebook, which is a painting. Um, a painting which is called an experiment in a bird in the air, an air pump. And it just showed uh, how the light reflected in all. It's quite a grotesque picture, but beautiful as well. And uh, so, yeah, we just had lots and lots of chats. Yeah, no, it's it's great. And and s- s- some of the scenes really do. They're, they're, they look like a painting. They're absolutely gorgeous. Mm. And, mm. Uh, and uh, um, Ruth, like, because of the POV scheme, when you're putting the crew together, you have to sort of mix it up and have a training element as well. Uh, how how did you manage that? And and um, I mean, I, I, and I think, yeah, how did you manage that? I guess, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there were people were kind of upgrading, and um, so we kind of concentrated on that kind of a good bit. You know, the people who maybe weren't in the roles that we gave them previously and, and kind of given them the support in that way. Um, we, uh, there was, there was the mentoring scheme, but we weren't, I, 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 we weren't aware of it funny enough at the time, even though the other POV ones, other POV teams were. Um, so, uh, oh no, we did, we ended up, sorry, sorry, I'm trying to think back. Sorry, I think we discovered at a late stage is what happened. So Veronica um, Kaminska, who is our editor, um, I this was her first feature film she edited on her own, wasn't it Lisa? Yeah, assistant editor. Yeah, and so Veronica, we both know Veronica for years, and she's really, really talented. So she had a mentor who worked with her, and um, there's a few other people who did the same. Sorry, I'd forgotten about that. But yeah, so we had people in roles that they probably wouldn't have had before, you know, or they had them in shorts, but they hadn't had them on kind of bigger productions. Um, so just that really. Yeah, and and I guess, um sometimes people will work above and beyond as well when it's their their first time doing it but not not and then all some people just always work up and beyond consistently as well uh, um and then just the cast is really great like Agnes O'Casey's performance is so good but all of the rest of the cast are, are perfect I, I, and I actually particularly love Karen Roach as well who's just mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um uh, Amy Rowan cast it for you so can you can you kind of go through like how you found everyone uh sure yeah so uh yeah Amy was our casting director she was brilliant um so I was working on a show in the UK a BBC show which uh, we had to shut down it was two weeks away from shooting because of Covid and so I came back and we started to talk about um about lies we tell because we knew we were going to make it after this show finished 
And so we thought, well, look, this is the perfect time to find Maud. And we had all discussed, we we knew we wanted to find a, a newcomer um, for the role. And there's so many talented young Irish actors. So Amy, you know, lined up a load of people who did self-tapes and uh, we, we saw some wonderful actors. And uh, we loved Aggie. Um, she just has uh, so many qualities about her naturally that were fitting for this role. And um, I I'm sure we must have done a callback. I'm sure we must have done callbacks. So, but they were still all uh, remotely. And um, and yeah, it was really not a difficult decision that we we just all loved her and felt she was right for the part. And yeah, and she turned out to be so absolutely. She's great. And, and that I'd say that must have been really challenging as well because she has to be so still but she has to convey so much like in, in terms of her arc yeah um yeah well I suppose it's so much you know if you get the casting right uh mm. really it's so much of the work is done for you because you know that whoever you've cast in it is going to be able to bring all the nuances and the levels to that role you know that's why you have to get your casting right and Aggie has has this wonderful, fresh uh, quality, um, open quality about her, but also she, you know, she also can be reserved and, you know, she had just all of these elements and so many of the elements that were so fitting just within her, you know, um, and that's often the case was that, a, 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 you know, an actor conveys so many of the real traits uh, of a character. And um, so she, you know, has this, tenacity um and this determination coupled with a vulnerability and all of these all of these were really important characteristics for Maud yeah and then I, I guess as well it's another thing that the budget was in your favor for because if you were to try to do something like that with a bigger budget you wouldn't have probably as much say in who you cast you'd have to kind of do some stunt casting in there absolutely Actually, that was a great advantage. I think, Lisa, remember, remember in the early days having those conversations that actually was a real opportunity to really cast the right actors in the right roles, you know, and not try and do, you know, kind of stunt casting in order to generate money, really. And um, so, no, I thought that that was absolutely brilliant. So as a result, the cast are every single one of them are just pitch perfect, you know, for the film. There's, like there's some great theatre actors in there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so John Olihan and Eleanor Methven, um, both of whom I'd always wanted to work with. And, you know, the parts are small, but uh, it just showed uh, it's tantamount to the to this, the strength of the script that both John and Eleanor um, agreed to do it. And, and you know, they're just lovely to see, you know, these tiny little detailed moments of these uh, brilliant actors. But, you know, uh, they were all all the actors were um they they committed to it because they loved it they loved the story and um you know I, they had a great time doing it and uh, some I had worked with before some we offered directly some I auditioned I hadn't worked with Chris before and whereas I knew him from uh, Young Offenders it's such a profoundly different look <laughs> yeah. uh, and Chris did an audition and uh there was a number of other people who had auditioned for the role. And 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 when you pick audition scenes, you try to, at least I, I tried to pick scenes, uh, you know, even if it's two or three scenes that just give an actor an opportunity to, to show the variety or the depth of, of their capabilities. And Chris did this one scene 
that you could have approached from a, a comedic point of view. You could have approached it for the laughs. And he just did this beautiful, heartfelt um, audition that was, you know, immediately it's like, oh, my God, we just I've got to have him. I mean, he's a really talented actor, but it, yeah, he, he he was he was great, and and of course the board Mark, say Mark Doherty who plays Doctor Barley. That's when I read the script. That's who I saw from the very start, and and Mark uh, agreed to do it. And obviously David uh, Wilmot is uh, yeah. an absolute star in it. You know, uh, he really is incredible. He's great, and and I think with Chris as well. I mean, that character could have so easily been a caricature, and just to. To convey the humanity in in him, yeah. yeah I mean, you wouldn't you you know you're for all of the, these characters, you're looking for the humanity. I mean, they're all in all of them are in a really a, a dreadful situation. They all make their choices. So, um, but it, it's hard not to have compassion, uh, with some of them, with all of them, really. You know what I mean? Because of the situation, and 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 okay, they choose to go along with Silas's ways or, or, or not, or, or generally just go along. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you have to go for the truth of the emotion. I think, uh, I, I think if we had gone for a comedy or anything that was bigger than real life, uh, we would not have come out with this film. No. Um, I'm going to just switch the conversation now and just have a little bit of a, a chat with both of you about your career so far and maybe how you got into film. Um, I'll start with Ruth. Okay. <laughs> I, I think I had a long way around getting into film. Um, oh, I, I ended up in a traineeship in Luxembourg for the European Commission. And when I came back from that, I have a history and politics degree. Um, prime time, we're looking for trainees. And I happened to get in because I had a politics degree and I worked for the European Commission. And that's how I got in. So I worked for their live show it was twice a week um, for, I think it was for about six months or something. And absolutely loved it. You know, I'd been looking for a way before that, how to get in, but I didn't have, when I was in school, nobody even told me there was a communications degree, you know, like, and I'm not that old. Um, so, and then off the back of that, um, I got a job in Parallel Films where I worked. I worked in Parallel Films for 13 years, I think. I was there for a long time. Um, but while I was there, I had the opportunity to work through development into production. So I started out um, as development production assistant, accounts assistant, uh, every assistant going, um, but really, really fell for scripted format, you know? So I ended up in the script department on clinic series three and clinic series four, um, and then um, came across Demo and Ivor, uh, their music videos at the time, and developed that into, you know, the two TV series, then eventually into a film. Um, but then left Parallel about nine years ago to set up on my own. So I did the film, Demo and Arbor, the movie, as a co-production between myself, Bluing Films and Parallel Films. Um, and I've kind of just gone from there. So, um, yeah, I've actually, I think I've been very fortunate, actually. And Parallel um, gave me a great grounding in all different aspects of the career, to be honest with you, you know. And, and actually, I had the freedom that, you know, when I had, I, I didn't want a script edit or be the development executive anymore, that I had an opportunity to go and produce, um, which I was really fortunate. And down some great mentorship. Mary, Mary Callery was in there at the time and she's absolutely, you know, she's just brilliant. And I learned an awful lot from her as well. So, yeah, that's me, Lisa. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I did a, initially did a two-year um, 
media studies course. Uh, this is quite a long time ago. And then I we did we did everything in it and I just really took to editing. I really liked it. So when I before I finished that, I just went around and there was very few um, editing houses at the time. Um, and I just knocked on doors and I said, how do I be an editor? And I think somebody was kind of surprised that some young one would be asking that. So I got a job as an assistant editor and then I did that for a year and then I went to London and I learned a huge amount in that year. And then I went to London and I did it for another year. And it's just a fantastic way of learning how to structure story, even if you're working on commercials or on documentaries, any anything, music videos, anything. And it was really incredible training, but I didn't really like being in a room on my own all the time. Mm. Um, it's quite solitary, but hugely creative. So then I became a trainee AD and I worked my way up through trainee AD, third, second, first AD. And I was first AD for a number of years on, on feature films and TV shows. And then I just, the more I was a first, the more I didn't like being a first, but the more I, you know, it was because I was in the thick of it with actors, the more I realized that what I wanted to do was work with actors. So while I was still a first, I made some shorts and then uh, because the industry was smaller here and because at that stage I was pretty well known as the first AD when I decided to change over to directing, it was very hard because it was very hard to get people to take me to to see me as a director, not an assistant director. But, uh, you know, people like Martha O'Neill and Mary Callery were very uh, supportive. And so I got my first drama and then <clears throat> I did some documentaries um did the clinic which was a great break for me and then yeah I had a, I had my first child and then there was a lull period after that which is another story and mm-hmm. um and then I just did some more shorts a, a couple of shorts and just tried to get myself back into directing and then I did um <clears throat> Red Rock and from Red Rock I got a started getting I got an agent and I started getting offer shows in the UK and and so so it's it's uh, it was really interesting because Red Rock was a very low budget show, but it was run by unbelievably talented people uh, who were enthusiastic, and it, it was amazing really because it's almost like it provided a second career for me. Mm. So now, you just never know. It's it's <laughs> I'm working with uh, Paul Walker and Laura Way at the moment, and they they cherish the time that they spent on yeah. rock and it and yeah it seems like it was brilliant maybe it's about time we need something like that again maybe it is well it yeah. was a brilliant training ground because they they it gave people like Laura Way an opportunity and uh, lots of other directors an opportunity to direct even though it was regarded as soap we shot it like a drama Mm. It, it, we approached it completely like a drama, and so it gave them an opportunity to to direct uh, to direct drama at you know and the scripts. Uh, Peter McKenna had you know he's a brilliant writer, and uh, you know it it was we were really really aiming high with that show, you know and again very very limited budget, but uh, it, again a great experience for for so many people. Great. Um, I just want to say if anyone has any questions, if you just want to fire them into the chat there and I'll ask them in a couple of minutes. Um, and then just um, I'm just going to circle back as well to just ha- what are your experiences as working as a woman in the industry and has it changed since you started? And I think I'll come back to Lisa on that. 
Uh, yeah, to my famous story. Uh, so, yes, it has changed. Um, it's still very, very challenging, particularly if you want to have a family or. Um, but, yeah, when I started off as an AD, I, I think I was the first female first AD here. And, um, you know, traditionally, a lot of first ADs would have been actually ex-army. Um, because the skills that you learn in the army are very useful when you're um, running a film set, um, a, a bit like going to war sometimes. And um, so like there's a, an infamous story I tell about um, a grip, you know, who had been around um, a long time. And I he used to work on all the commercials. And uh, as a first AD, it's your job to tell, to you know, keep control of the set, to keep the set moving, to let everybody know what's happening, to, you know, to communicate between the director and the crew and stuff like that. And I, I would sort of say stuff like, okay, guys, you know, we're laying a track. And he, he would turn around to the lads and the camera team and say, the little girl says we've got to lay a track. Ooh. And um, and you know, ev- everybody nobody challenged him nobody challenged him he was uh, extremely grumpy um but nobody really challenged him you know i mean people would say oh he doesn't mean it but it was just completely unacceptable and you wouldn't get that now i'm not saying it's all completely disappeared but uh, i would definitely say that trainees and uh, people at those lower levels are better treated <laughs> uh, than than in the past absolutely i mean you know you just sucked it up um that whatever treatment you were given but uh, yeah and it's it, it's obviously this is still a long way to go but it's still uh, there are things that are just not not acceptable anymore and and that's right and i guess people are more empowered now hopefully to to come forward and talk to other older and more experienced people about any issues you'd hope yeah yeah you'd hope i mean i still think um you know, if you get badly behaved actors and I, I'm I, I'm very lucky I haven't had that, but uh, badly behaved, well-known actors, I think still will get away with bad behavior because, of course, there's a, a fear, a, you, you know, a film can carry on without any member of the crew and lead, including the director, but it can't without the actor. Mm-hmm. And um, and I still hear, hear some stories from other actors you know, that that they're just fearful to complain because they're fearful that they won't work, you know. So it still does go on, you mm. know. So, I mean, this whole bystander thing, it's so important. It's so important that we feel that we that uh, that we can um, act on other people behaving badly to to people who are more vulnerable or, or who, who don't necessarily feel they have as much of a voice because of their position. Yeah, we just have to keep going. We just have to keep going and and. Um, keep keep uh, addressing bad behavior yeah and and Ruth I'm just going to go back to the to the question as well like um how has your experience been as a woman working in the industry do you think it's changed since you started first yeah no absolutely I think when um you know when I wasn't on set I probably didn't realize there was as big a problem as there was in terms of representation of women, if you know what I mean. So like, because I was, I was surrounded by probably strong female producers um, and I had been the whole way through um, my career. And I think when I just started working on set, it it became way more evident that, um, 
you know, there's just not as many women on the floor, really, to be honest with you. Um, and I, I have seen that change. Like, and certainly with Lies We Tell, you know, the camera team was nearly all female. I know that there was one guy <laughs> and Tiernan was there doing steady cam. But in general, you know, it was it was Eleanor had a had a team of women working with her and they were absolutely excellent. And um, and I, I have seen that change, you know, but not not a, not across every not across every department. I still think, you know, um, you know, probably with the sparks and that, it's going to be largely guys. Um, I have seen some girls, but they kind of come in and out of it. Not, you know, maybe maybe don't stay. Um, but I like I I I do see a change, yeah. But you know, it's probably been slow enough to change. And and I think the you know having children thing is very very difficult because it does take you out of um I've three kids and it does take you out of the industry for a period of time in order to have them and you know look after them when they're babies um until you come back from maternity leave um but then there's additional things with that you know like just you know looking after kids and making sure they're okay and um run the house while you're running the running the running running the film um so I think you know um and I have a great husband by the way he's actually great and does most of the cooking in the house but you know wouldn't be doing all the laundry <laughs> so you know like I still think a, a bulk of the stuff still falls to women you know you have to be everything for everybody and I think that can sometimes be very hard because you you can burn out you can you feel tired you know um there's an awful lot going on you have your head in so many different things um but I've I've seen a change but yeah it'd be great for there to be bigger changes but there will be you, you can see it you can see it with the young crew that are coming through and and like that, um, like people are able to say, you know, that's not cool or, you know, they'll they'll come to me or they'll come to the line producer or the production coordinator. And um, you, you do. I think that's changed an awful lot, you know, and I think some of the behavior I, I know what you're talking about, Lisa, um, it's not as it's not as out there as open as maybe it would have been and um, because there there is a realization that there's repercussions but there's probably still some stuff that goes under the surface that um you know people try and get away with which is yeah. and i actually think it is probably it's tougher for actors as well i think they're probably a little bit more isolated because they're not part of a a department really in a way so it's just food for thought anyway for me <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah um um so i think that I there's no question so i'm gonna finish with three questions okay <laughs> so, the first thing is what's next for the film uh ruth oh for our film yeah well so it's releasing here on friday which is amazing um it's releasing in spain on the 20th of october we're then in a number of other festivals um but i'm not allowed talk about them yet because they haven't yet announced but we're in various different places all over the world actually um right up until next march um so we're actually delighted um that you know we've had this opportunity because we were in dnard film festival there um two weeks ago i think it was and it was great to see a french audience reaction to the film and um as the film travels around the world um i'm looking forward you know to getting to go to some of those festivals and kind of see that reaction there as well um so yes we have great hopes for it it's, it's a really brilliant film so I really I hope it gets the support that it deserves really proud of it yeah no it, 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 it's great I'm going to bring my mother to see it on Friday so oh good <laughs> my parents have seen it twice <laughs> they love it 
<laughs> yeah, I think I was sitting with Eleanor's parents at Galway. They loved it too. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and then what's next for you, Ruth? What what projects do you have coming down? Yeah, so we're just in the middle of delivering a feature film called Twig, which stars Shadé Malone. She's a brilliant young actor. Um, she's absolutely brilliant in the role. Uh, written and directed by Marion Quinn, um, I, which I co-produced with Tommy Weir. Uh, so we're literally delivering that at the moment. And that's a contemporary adaptation of Antigone, Sophocles' Antigone from 441 BC. But it's a contemporary take um, on that on that story. So it's it's a it's a really brilliant film actually um very very emotional film so yeah so looking forward to setting that up on its path <laughs> so you don't have a release date or anything like that or a premiere no no I'd say like we're literally like I'm delivering paperwork at the moment yeah. so I'm not that so um I'd say aiming for early 2024 perfect mm-hmm. and, and then Lisa what's next for you <laughs> Uh, so I'm just finishing on um, a, a couple of episodes of uh, the second season of The Tourist, which is a BBC series with um, Jamie Dorn um, and um, Danielle MacDonald. And then I'm just I'm in development on um, my next feature film, which is temporarily entitled Stolen, not Margot Hargan's Stolen. Uh, but it's an it's a it's based on a true story about an Irish woman whose uh, child was kidnapped by her ex husband and taken into Syria during the war, and about her attempts to get her child back. Wow. So, so yeah, that's an incredible story. So that's my next film, and a brilliant script. I have read it. <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So the script, yeah, I wrote the script with, uh, and then Elizabeth came on and we rewrote, uh, rewrote it. So yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, a tense affair. Another one. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. And then the last question I'm going to ask both of you, and I ask everyone, it's uh, just if there's any advice that you would give for somebody coming into the industry now. And I'll start with Lisa and end with Ruth. <laughs> uh, yeah. Be tenacious, you know, if you want something, uh, you know, you just you just have to. OK, there is luck, but you really just have to work hard. And I'm absolutely convinced that if you work really hard at something, you will get what you want. A bit of luck also helps, but yeah, just be determined. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'd, I'd echo that. Yeah, be really determined, be positive, um, you know, kind of any opportunity you get, you know, just try and talk to people and and that's the thing as well people are always on the lookout to give new talent a bit of a shot like I know I certainly am I actually I love having new trainees in and and kind of getting to see you know I've often had work experience kids in and transition year and getting to see how they develop over the course of a week I've I've had one work experience um student who said it was life-changing for him because he felt like he finally found his place and that place is on a film set and but he was brilliant at it yeah um, so like people are you know kind of willing to give um to give trainees a shot for sure but I think yeah stay really determined and positive and just keep at it and um yeah that's it really yeah great well thanks to both of you for taking the time uh to talk to us today and uh, The Lies We Tell is going to be in Irish cinemas on Friday. Go see it. It really is a great film. And uh, best of luck to both of you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Fiona. Thank, thanks, Fiona. It.
Thanks very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. This webinar has been made possible with the support of Commission Naman. If you would like to support Women in Film and TV Ireland, join us at wft.ie or go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash WFT Ireland.